Hello and welcome to the Pastcast. I'm Callum Henderson. And I'm Carly Hiltz. And on this week's episode, we're doing something a bit different uh, and we're talking about Lego. So when was the last time you played with Lego, Carly? Actually, quite recently. And my partner's little boy is mad for it. So we tend to get building all kinds of weird and wonderful things when he comes to visit us. Uh, but as for me, I still have my life-size model of Yoda. Well, life-size for Yoda, you know, like two feet. Uh, and a model X-Wing in my childhood bedroom at home. And they were they were such prized possessions when I was much, much, much younger. Um, which makes me sound like a very nerdy child. Uh, my Lego collection was better than that. I did make little cars and boats and houses and you know normal things too. But Lego Yoda, he was ace. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so the reason we're talking about Lego uh, is because of a project called Lego Lost at Sea which has been documenting the many hundreds of thousands of pieces of the stuff that washed ashore in Cornwall and further afield, actually, since 1997. Yeah. It was in that year that a container full of Lego was accidentally swept over the side of a cargo ship during a storm off Land's End, um, and tiny plastic pieces, including miniature sea creatures, yeah. boats and figurines, um, have been turning up in the beaches across the southwest ever since. And uh, yeah, the Lego Lost at Sea project was founded by Tracy Williams, and she's recently brought out a book on its findings, which current archaeology contributing editor, Joe Flatman, uh, has written about in the most recent issue. You can also read his article on the past website. Uh, there's a link to that in this episode's description. Yes, and because we wanted to learn more about the project itself, uh, we invited both Tracy and Joe onto the podcast to talk to us about it. So here's our conversation with them. So Tracy and Joe, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Um, I can start with Tracy. Um, I think there's a very obvious question that we need to ask and get out of the way, and it's um, how did hundreds of thousands of pieces of Lego end up being washed ashore on a beach in Cornwall? Millions of pieces, in fact. So back in 1997, there was a, a ship, a cargo ship, was on its way to New York from Rotterdam. And about 20 miles off the coast of Cornwall, it was hit by a rogue wave and... 62 containers fell into the ocean, and one of those contained nearly 5 million bits of Lego, and much of that Lego was sea-themed. So soon afterwards, beachcombers started finding Lego octopuses and flippers and life jackets, etc. Yes, and quite appropriate that they're, that they're sea-themed. Uh, I wonder, Tracy, could we, we talk a bit about your work recording these finds? How did your, your particular project come about, and, and what have you been doing? So back in the day, I used to take my children beachcombing. My parents uh, lived in a uh, house on the clifftops in South Devon. And soon after the spill, we started finding little bits of Lego washed up. And every time we went to the beach, we, we used to pick them up and we'd take them all home and store them in Tupperware boxes on the kitchen windowsill. And it was something we did every weekend and summer holidays. And then we lived in land for quite a long time. And in 2010... I moved to Cornwall and on my very first trip to the beach, I found some Lego from the spill. And I thought that was quite amazing that 13 years later, that was still turning up. So by then I'd become part of a beach clean network. So I set up a Facebook page and I invited people to get in touch if they'd found any and people started to get in touch. And that's how it began. How did you come to decide to write a book um, about all the finds? I think we'd... We'd gathered so much information, and the, the more the more we beachcombed, the more we found, and there were so many unanswered questions. And also, we'd, we'd captured so many images, and so many people had told us about the, the, the things they'd found. We thought it would be interesting to record it in some way. 
There was a lot of interest um, all over the world, actually. After the BBC saw my Facebook page, they did a story about it and it went viral. And then people started to get in touch in their thousands. And we had so much information. And it seemed a very good way of talking about plastic in the ocean in a way that everybody could identify with. I think often, you know, you hear so many horror stories about plastic in the ocean. And this was a way of talking about it in a way that wasn't too scary and that everybody could identify with. And uh, speaking of the book, uh, Joe, you reviewed Trace's book in Current Archaeology. And more recently, you've written an article about the project. In fact, it's the, it's the cover feature of the latest issue. Um, what was yay. it about this? Yeah, yay, congrats. Uh, I wondered, what was it about this research that, that, that caught your interest? It caught my eye because I am quite active on social media. And a lot of people are worried about social media being a horrible place, which it can be. On the other hand, social media creates a kind of a democratic platform for people like Tracy to share really interesting research where they might not have done before. So that caught my eye. And it, it, it caught my eye because it is. It's about a whole lot of this. It's about science. It's about the environment. I think it's about archaeology. We're, we're going to come to that. It's about site formation. It's about collection creation because, you know, Tracy's got a good eye for the eye catching um, and that helps tell part of the story so it's all of those different things together and it's just it's just such an interesting it's so so utterly human both at the kind of the little scale of individuals and right up to millions of people all over the world uh, yes and as we said um, some people might disagree with the suggestion that it's it represents archaeology um, because it involves you know quite a recent event 25 years ago or so and um, obviously very modern objects um, in the form of toys essentially and um, what would you say to that well, first of all, buy your copy of Current Archaeology and read <laughs> the full explanation. Yes. Um, yeah. of why it's, it's, on the it it's, it's on the cover, it must be archaeology. And it's site formation processes, isn't it? Um, archaeologists study patterns of site formation. Some patterns of site formation take thousands, indeed, in the current cases, tens of thousands of years, because I, I saw recently a really interesting find of... Um, human skeletal remains from 33,000 years ago showing um, success of amputation. That is arguably so is this, because we have an observable pattern of deposition being studied in a consistent and thoughtful manner with careful recording reporting and sharing. All of those are characteristics of archaeology. The fact that the subject matter happens to be relatively recent is it's not immaterial, but it is not the determining factor because as archaeologists through plenty of cases done quite a few articles about 20th century sites. This is probably the newest. Do you course there'll be another site which will come along? It's only not archaeology if you you say there has to be a hard line of say a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, at which point archaeology begins. Tracy, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this too. Do, do you see what, what you've been doing as archaeology? It's interesting. I, I've over the years I've taken part in many archaeological digs, you know, for the last 50 years on all sorts of different sites. And I think part of my beachcombing when I first started move when I first moved to Cornwall was in place of archaeology because I was no longer taking part in any excavations or digs. But beachcombing is very much like field walking. It's it's like field walking a site that's been ploughed every day, but instead of just local items being found, you find items that have washed in from all over the world. So some of the items you find could have washed 3,000 miles 
people come from 3,000 miles away. So, and I think it's very interesting at, at what point a find becomes archaeological because, as Joe says, you know, it, it's, because it's recent doesn't necessarily mean it, it's not an artifact of the future. Um, and when, when does the future begin? I think I think it is very thought provoking. And certainly um, there's a professor of archaeology in Norway who's been uh, researching beaches out there. And she describes this phenomenon as drift archaeology. Just because you don't know where it's come from doesn't mean it's not archaeology. Artifacts of the future. I love that. That's a, <laughs> a drift archaeology. I've never heard that. And I love that because yeah. it is. It's brilliant. It's in the book. <laughs> I've read the book carefully enough. <laughs> you need to read it again, Joe. <laughs> After storm, you you actually after a storm, you will uh, when the you get huge waves eating into the dunes, and you get left with a sandbank that shows all the different layers through it, and you can see some of the artifacts. You know, at the bottom will date back 60, 70 years. In some case, two hundred years. Not plastic, but uh, and it's all in situ, just in the dunes. So yeah, a storm was good for you then. You like it when a storm comes. I, lo- I, I love a good storm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, there's an, obviously another issue or another side to this is the environmental impact um, because much though it's Lego and it's much loved, it's, it's still plastic being washed ashore and sort of polluting. Um, how does the book sort of tackle that kind of issue? I think for me, searching for Lego really opened my eyes to the amount of plastic in the ocean. I don't think I'd have really ever thought about it much before and the more we searched for Lego, the more we noticed all the other plastic that was there. And it's absolutely astonishing, you know, what you find and, and how far some of it has travelled. Yes. So, yeah. So I think searching for plus or searching for Lego really opens your eyes to the amount of plastic in the ocean. Joe, do you want to add anything there? It's, I think it's, having spoken to faces, plastic pollution like this can seem so big that it becomes not unremarkable, but hard to comprehend. What I've loved about this is because it's a, a single act of deposition, which again is kind of quite an archaeological way of seeing it. And it's such identical, you know, we're just completely random, really really basic blocks like it, but it is it's, it's one loss of a particularly seeking collection which just seems to be kind of the universe almost mocking us showing up which allows tracy and all of the people she collaborates with to identify these ones coming and it, it therefore it suddenly it puts it at a human scale doesn't it because otherwise yeah i remember when i did the side visit relating to column there's so much on that one beach, and only one of us you go to any beach these days. The beaches are just literally, I mean, horrifyingly awash with plastic. But most of it, 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 it you, could, you can't even tell what it is. It's just lumps of plastic. Here is a quite unusual example where actually people are regularly finding stuff. Like, okay, that's clearly from the wreck because we know it's in the inventory because it's that type of Lego and it's showing up. And that process of I'm fascinated by that sense of how long people continue to find this. Yeah, as I, I, Tracy put it in the book, I, I put it in the yeah. yeah, so Tracy's been finding for 20, 20 plus years, and everything leads everyone to believe, doesn't it, that for another 20 plus or maybe twice that long, these these materials will continue to be identifiable, albeit in different, perhaps slightly different forms, more sea-worn, different cycles. That's super, that this could be intergenerational. 
whenever there's a cargo spill, you never hear about all the plastic that sinks to the bottom of the ocean. It used to be claimed there was about 10,000 containers went overboard every year. These, these years, the figures is, is much more modest, but you never hear about everything that sinks. So usually after a cargo spill for a few weeks or months afterwards, there'll be a flurry of interest in whatever it was. But everything else sinks. And what we know from the Lego story is that 25 years on, all that Lego is still there. So once once a week or once a month, I'll go down to the fishing ports to see what the fishermen have found in their nets. And they'll give me a big container of Lego that they've trawled up that week or that month. Wow. And it's all in perfect condition. <laughs> Some of it has, you know, slightly seaworn and might have the odd hole in it. Some of, some of it is slightly buckled, but most of it, you can't tell, has been lying at the bottom of the ocean. It's only by the marine life that's growing on it that you can see it's been underwater. And that's just one Lego story. We also find there were hose parts in one of the other containers that fell off the Tokyo Express, and the fishermen find hose parts in their nets every week. So there's all this plastic from thousands of cargo spills lying at the bottom of the seabed. And it's it's still there. It's it's in really good condition. And I think that's that's something you never really hear about. No, absolutely. And and thinking about the cargo of of the sorry the container that the Lego is in, I guess we still don't know the condition of that original container, do we? And how dispersed the contents may have been. Certainly, the the fishermen still find it every week, so we know roughly where they're trawling it up. But some of the Lego is is making its way to land. So although the floating Lego drifted ashore many years ago, a lot of the Lego that sank is still making its way ashore. So I live about 50 or 60 miles, nautical miles from the site of the spill. And I'm now finding Lego that fell overboard in 1997, washed up on my beach. So this is Lego that's drifting along the seabed very, very, very slowly. So it's certainly spread over a very large distance, but some of the floating Lego made made its way along the south coast. Some of it reached Belgium, France and Holland. And this week, a Lego dragon was found in Northern Ireland. So that's our first report from the east coast of Northern Ireland. So that's really interesting because we, we know some of the Lego reached Cumbria and I feel sure it must have drifted further up the coast. So we're hoping the more and more people hear about the Lego spill, the more we'll be looking out for it and we'll be able to plot those records. But certainly I think it's going to be washing up for a very long time to come. Are there any particularly unusual ones amongst the this cargo that people should look out for? Uh, there's... There were a hundred different items in the container and beachcombers really only find the same 12 or 13 pieces. So there's an awful lot, millions and millions of pieces still to be found. Some may be trapped in sand dunes and some may be lying at the bottom of the sea. I think one of the most unusual things are sharks. There were over 50,000 Lego sharks in the shipping container and we've never found any of those. So where are they? I'd love to know where those all are. There are also little things like bat, black bats and witches' hats True. and wizards' hats. My question was, do, do you think the sharks, is it that they've sunk and will eventually start appearing? Or is it that for some random chance they, I don't know, they were in deep down in the cargo container and yet have yet to escape? 
I think that's really interesting. I think there are many unanswered questions. You know, what we don't know is, A, whether the container has completely disintegrated. We know that 62 containers fell overboard. They might all be, there might be many down there still stacked on top of each other. So the Lego one might be at the bottom. We don't, we don't know. Certainly it broke open, but whether it broke open on its way down or whether it's still lying on the seabed, releasing cargo <laughs> on a daily basis, we're not sure. There's just so much still to find out. The, the Lego may also have been trapped in plastic, or we know it was being carried in plastic tote boxes. So it could be that some of those tote boxes haven't yet opened. So there may well be a box of Lego sharks lying at the bottom the of all day, these. The one day spread. they will <laughs> all escape. We don't know. And again, the, the Lego sharks don't float. So if they are found, they're likely to be found in fishermen's nets or they could be making their way along the seabeds very slowly for years and years to come. We recently teamed up with scientists at the University of Plymouth to find out how long Lego would survive in the coastal environment. And we didn't test Lego from the spill. We actually tested bricks that we'd found up, just classic style Lego bricks. And the scientists that did the experiments calculated that the Lego would last any time from between 100 years to 1300 years. So it could be coming 1300. ashore. 1300 so years. Wow. So wow. 23, 20, 23, 500. Maths isn't my strong point. Uh, better at finding things. Um, well, while Joe's working out the maths on that one, um, <laughs> how, do, how do readers and listeners keep up to date with the project? And, uh, how, and what... If they come across Lego themselves, what should they do with it? Should they be sending it somewhere or photographing it? It would be very useful and helpful if people could uh, report any Lego finds to us through our social media accounts. So we're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as Lego Lost at Sea. In theory, every bit of Lego should be reported to the receiver of REC, but that's an ongoing, ongoing task. So I've worked this out. The future yes. archaeologists who who who, da- who who find this podcast um, in, in a digital archive somewhere in the year thirty three, uh, three thousand three hundred twenty two is thirteen hundred years from now. So that's because me having my phone here to do it. So I love the idea that archaeologists in 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 the year three thousand three hundred. What would they crazy. be wearing? Still knackered jeans and, and, <laughs> and, and dodgy band t-shirts, right? That's, that's stripy jumper. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, stripy jumpers. Yeah. I don't know if it's too late to add, but on the subject of the, the, the shipping container, the fishermen think that the container has probably long since gone. And in fact, one newspaper reported that it washed ashore eight years ago, but I've never found any evidence to corroborate that. And certainly... The fishermen are still pulling up Lego from the the fine, you know, the place where the containers fell into the ocean. So again, it's another another mystery of the sea. But I am working with someone now who thinks that he could trace the shipping containers if they still exist. So we're hoping to get out and do some side scanning and see what we can find. Oh, fabulous! We'll we'll watch this space. That that that'd be wonderful to know more. <laughs> 
That was Tracy Williams and Joe Flatman talking to us there. And don't forget you can read Joe's article in the latest issue of Current Archaeology magazine, as well as the entire magazine on the past website. And Tracy's book, Adrift, The Curious Tale of the Lego Lost at Sea, published by Unicorn, is available to buy from a link in the description. Uh, finally, Carly, what else do readers have to look forward to in the latest issue of uh, Current Archaeology? Oh, as always, lots of wonderful things. Uh, to start things off, we have a piece about London Bridge. Uh, not the bare concrete structure that visitors to the capital see today, but its medieval predecessor, which was a much more elaborate affair. It was covered with buildings, it had sh- chapels and shops, and believe it or not, the homes of around 500 people. It was basically like a tiny town in its own right. Uh, we also have a really interesting article about the wreck of HMS Northumberland. Now, this vessel was constructed during the big shipbuilding programme that Samuel Pepys headed in the 1670s. Uh, He wasn't just a famous diarist, he was also a really influential figure in the formation of the modern Royal Navy. And this ship sank, along with a couple of sister ships, uh, sank off the coast of Kent during a really severe weather event called the Great Storm of 1703. And its remains were only rediscovered in 1980. And in the last few years, uh, the sandbank covering the wreck and protecting its timbers and all the artefacts inside, uh, it's been eroding really rapidly. And so marine archaeologists have been working as fast as they can to record as much as possible before all this amazing evidence is lost. And finally, we move from the bottom of the sea to the attic of Wiltshire Museum, uh, where a collection of Victorian rock samples was recently rediscovered. Now, these aren't just any rock samples. They include uh, samples taken directly from some of the Stonehenge blue stones. And these are the smaller stones from the monument. And as readers of CA will know, because we've covered it lots and lots, uh, unlike the famous trilithons, which are made of local, relatively local sarsen stone, uh, the blue stones are thought to have been quarried in West Wales and brought all the way to Salisbury Plain, which is amazing in itself. And there aren't many geological samples taken directly from these stones known. So any opportunity to learn more about them is, is really quite exciting, as people can find out in the latest issue. Very good. I was just wondering if there's um, a Lego version of London Bridge, or the old oh, London Bridge. There, oh, there is. is. There is, there is. I saw it. Uh, there was an exhibition called Brick Wonders, which we reviewed in CA a little while ago at the Novium Museum in Chichester. And they had this amazing, I uh, must have been nearly two metres long model of old London Bridge. And it's wonderful. So I'm sure there are images of it out there. People Google Brick Wonders, old London Bridge. I'm sure there'll be a picture there somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Carly. Um, and thank you for listening. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yay, Lego. Yay. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.